I've got a secret. Yes, this guy about 60 years ago, Malcolm McLean invented containerization. It's this cool concept, the box on a container made of aluminum and metal and steel. And it brings in your shoes and your footwear and 90% of what you're wearing right now. But the real story is how does the steel and the iron get to China to make the refrigerators, to make the dishwashers, to make the TV wall mounts? Well, I've got to tell you, containers are only 16% of the global trade market and dry bulk is 45%. It's not about containers anymore. I would like to introduce my special guest today to talk about the dry bulk market at his company, Mr. John Wilbin-Smith, CEO and President of Genco Shipping. John, welcome to Global Supply Chain Week. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me. So, John, it's really, really great to have you on the show today. You know, I've been following Genco now for a long time, and I, I have to tell you, the things that you guys have been doing with uh, the dry bulk markets are really incredible. And the stats that you uh, have in your materials, 45% of uh, ocean-borne traffic by dry bulk. Tell me about the story of Genco and how did you come to be in, in this market and give us a dialogue on wh- where Genco is going. Right. So so Genco is the, the largest U.S.-based uh, dry bulk shipping company. We have 44 ships on the water today. 17 of those ships are our large ships, our cape-sized vessels, which are transporting, as you pointed out, iron ore, which is about half of our business. The remaining, uh, the remaining part of the 44 uh, ship fleet ships minor bulks. So minor bulks could be grains, like such as corn and soybean, could be cement, sugar, gypsum, salt, steel products, um, any sort of other aggregates. Copper is also a big one. So it really runs the uh, runs the gamut. But our fleet, um, having the larger ships as well as the midsize ships, we have direct exposure to the uh, to the dry bulk shipping industry. And John, you know, uh, being a container guy like I am, I, my Malcolm McLean uh, reference, I hope you'll excuse that. But I think it's one of the cool things is that we have some pretty clear measurements in TEUs and FEUs where things stand. Yeah, not so much with uh, the dry bulk world and Genco's uh, ability to measure, uh, you know, your market, but you do it in a different way. How do you measure it in deadweight tons? Explain to the o- audience how you look at the material you capture in, in your tonnage. Right. So you're exactly right. So we, we measured in terms of deadweight tons. So our Cape size, our largest ships will carry 180,000 deadweight ton of cargo. Um, whereas our midsize ships will carry anywhere from 55,000 deadweight ton up to 64,000 deadweight ton. There's also a little bit of a difference in, in the, the larger ships, um, usually pull up to a berth and there are unloading facilities for those ships. Whereas the midsize ships have their own gearing or cranes physically on board and and as part of the ship. So they are more self-loading and and self-discharging. And those would be more of the Supermax and the Ultramax uh, genre? That's right. And the Capes uh, uh, are the uh, mainstay of, uh, what are the main products handled by the Capes genre? So iron iron ore is the main product. And if you look at the main trade routes, it is moving iron ore from Brazil to China, Australia to China. Those are the main trade routes. Um, The midsize ships, the Supermaxes and the Ultramaxes, trade all around the world in a lot of different trade routes, as I said, because they're carrying 
quite a few more different types of commodities. John, it's come up a little bit in my market on the container size. You know, right now we have uh, Chinese New Year, but talk to me about a, a big influencer, obviously, in dry bulk is seasonality. We've got the uh, the weather issues. We've had some things in Brazil and China, uh, the Olympics. Talk to me a little bit about how seasonality, especially in Q1, is impacting overall dry bulk market. Well, in, in general, we, we we typically see a seasonal weakness in the first quarter, and, and it's for the, the reasons that you just pointed out. You typically have a, a rainy season in Brazil, so production of iron ore slows down in Brazil during the first quarter. Um, it is also uh, typically cold in China, so the construction season naturally slows down in China during the first quarter. I would say this year is um, maybe a little amplified because of the timing of Chinese New Year, but then also the Olympics. And we, we fully expect that steel production will continue to, to recover um, from the beginning of the year as we get past the, the Olympics. The other thing that is happening in China is they are switching to more of a looser monetary policy um, to stimulate their GDP and really, really hone in and make sure they hit that 5% target this year. So we're already seeing the Cape size rates, the larger ships recover um, to a certain degree. And we expect as you get into March, and April, more importantly, quite a rebound on the freight rate side. The um, the midsize ships, the ultras, and the supermaxes have been a little more stable, which is which is fairly typical. Um, and again, as we look though towards March and April, and grain season comes on in South America, particularly out of Brazil, we're we're seeing at least the freight forward or the or the paper market indicate much firmer rates. John, you raised a good point. I was looking at some of your investor material, and I, I saw how the Cape rates had uh, had a little bit of a, a downward momentum. And uh, for the for the case that you uh, you made here, the base case of after the Olympics, and then getting back into production, are we expecting to see those Cape rates come back up uh, in the near term uh, future? Yeah. Again, I I think as we um, as the steel industry um, starts to move upwards again from a utilization standpoint, post. Um, post the Olympics, post Chinese New Year, as we get into April, which is the beginning of peak construction season, you're going to see more iron ore movements. You've also got gotten to a point where Brazil has most likely seen the height of their rainy season, and we've already started to see production pick up on the Brazilian front. And, you know, both Brazil and Australia are very important uh, trade routes, obviously, to dry bulk shipping. But the longest trade route is moving that iron ore from Brazil to China. So there's a lot of operating leverage on that route. It takes ships out of the market for longer periods of time. And the more product that comes out of Brazil, the more you see freight rates lift. That's really fascinating. John, how does that tie into, I know the, the uh, for example, in 2022, the uh, dry bulk order, bu order book was a bit front loaded. And now, uh, you know, you won't be seeing new builds come on until 2024, 2025. Talk to the audience about, I mean, in this, we have the same issue in containers. But talk, talk to me about how the order book on dry bulk will uh, benefit Genco. Look, I mean, we are we are at a historical low in terms of the percentage of the fleet that is on order today. It's a little less than 7%. Um, we, we, we haven't seen numbers like this, um, as I said, ever really. And so what that means is you have a very predictable supply side or numbers of ships that are coming on over the next couple of years. 
So you're only talking maybe 2% net fleet growth per year. You just don't need a lot of demand growth to continue to surpass that and build on what we saw in 2021, which was, which was obviously a very good year. I, um, you know, I, every time I see a, a container owner, I, I thank them very much for all the ordering that they have done, because what that has done is it's filled up bursts. It has filled up shipyards. So as a dry bulk ship owner, you physically cannot order a ship and expect to take delivery until at least 2024. And we're even seeing the, the 2024 slots get filled up pretty quickly at this point. Well, I can definitely see how that bodes very well for not only uh, your uh, your uh, investors, but also the ability of how Genco positions itself in the market as as a growth leader. By the way, you're watching our uh, fireside chat with uh, I'm Steve Ferreira, CEO of Ocean Audit, and my special guest today is John Wilbin Smith, CEO and President of Genco Shipping. John, you know, it wouldn't be complete to talk about the whole cycle of shipping without mentioning some of the real unique uh, nuances within Genco, and one of those that I'm really tremendously excited to talk to you about is your value strategy and how that comes into play for uh, your investors and for your customer group. Could you explain Genco's value strategy going forward? So we have um, we have spent much of the year in 2021 developing this value strategy and we will be rolling it out fully for the fourth quarter's earnings and cash flow dividend um, that'll be payable in the uh, in the first quarter. We have delevered the company in a very significant way with operating cash flow. We have paid off 45% of our outstanding debt in 2021. We have bought, brought our net debt uh, to value of our fleet down to 15%. And the whole purpose of that is bringing the debt level down to create a better risk reward model. And what I mean by that is there's a tremendous amount of operating leverage built into the fleet in general with, between our Cape size and our ultra supermax fleet. Adding on that additional financial leverage obviously dials up the risk significantly. Our value strategy is centered around significant dividends, continued deleveraging, and continued growth of the fleet. In order to pay those significant dividends, you need to drive down your cash flow break even. And we have driven it down now into the low $8,000 a day so that in any type of market, dry bulk shipping is obviously cyclical. We feel we have the ability to continue to pay a dividend on a quarterly basis. It's one of the big mistakes this industry has made. When rates are $30,000 a day, of course, anybody can pay a dividend. And by bringing the leverage down, we think we can consistently pay a quarterly dividend, which has not really been tried uh, in the dry bulk shipping industry in the past. Well, that's great that you've been able to bring to your investors as well as looking at a way to obviously with your setup, bring, be a full service logistics provider to you know your customers and, and your end users. You know, John, one of the things that we talked about earlier, we talked about uh, China, we talked about the, uh, the Olympics, we talked about Chinese New Year. What are some of the, uh, could you describe to the audience just maybe two or three of the major catalysts that you're looking at now that might continue on through Q1 and Q2, especially in the dry bulk market? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I will go back to supply, supply, supply. The, the, the fact is having this low order book that, that we haven't seen from a historical standpoint, you just don't, as I said, need much demand outstrip. But as we look at Going through the year, again, we believe there's going to be recovery in iron ore exports from both Brazil 
and Australia going into China. That will be a very key driver. Um, we have the South American grain season mm-hmm. that will that will begin in March and will go for several months. That will be a driver on the mid-sized vessels as Ultramax and Supermax. We continue to believe that GDP growth being at 5% or slightly above 5% for 2022 will be a driver in the mid-sized ships as well in terms of building materials and, and other aggregates. So, you know, I, again, I can't, I can't stress the supply enough, but as we get through the seasonal weakness in, in the first quarter of this year, as, as we normally do, you'll see a recovery in, in, in freight in general. Now, John, uh, your clients would be uh, major direct shippers as well as other uh, charter party uh, companies. Uh, when you look at your client mix and you start to project the the uh, the order book coming up, it's a delicate little balance. How do you kind of uh, explain or bake in how order capacity will be as you start to uh, put forward time charter rates into 2022, 23, and, and beyond? Is it feasible to actually do time charter rates for a two and three year period? Yeah, no, it it is. In fact, we we did uh, we did two two year charters last year on our on our larger Cape size vessels, uh, somewhere around thirty thousand dollars a day for two years. Um, so it, it, there's no doubt there is liquidity in that market. Having said that, um, you know, with, with the softness in the first quarter, we've seen that time charter market naturally come off. Um, so we're we're not. We're not in the fixing mood long term right now, but there could come a point later in the year where maybe we do some more longer term fixing on the Cape size vessels. Now, on the minor bulks, again, those mid sized vessels, the Ultramax and the Supermax vessels, we have built a best in class commercial platform where, because of all the commodities and all the different trade routes that are occurring with those ships, we are able to trade around that that group of ships and create alpha above and beyond our respective indices that, that we're benchmarked on. It's an amazing concept. And, you know, one of the things, John, we uh, we see in our container market, well, what we see in your dry bulk market is we have the French word arbitrage. You know, we don't really use that word in container shipping too much. But, you know, between the algorithms and the hybrids and the financials and the, and the mechanics that you run at Genco, talk to the audience a little bit about what an arbitrage opportunity might be in dry bulk. Well, again, because of the way we're set up with the commercial platform where we are direct with our clients, meaning if you have a commodity to move, you are dealing directly with Genco. And our job is to get that cargo from point A to point B in the most efficient manner. Um, the arbitrage opportunities that we can create is we do book forward cargoes, whether it's one month, two months, three months, sometimes even longer out. And when we get to the point where we need to perform and move that cargo from A to B, we can look at it and decide, well, does it make sense to use one of our own vessels to move it as we priced it? Or can we go and use someone else's ship in the market and create a profit and create an arbitrage opportunity and then take our vessel and go and and do something else? And we do quite a bit of that. Um, And, uh, you know, it's it's, again, it, it allows us to create that extra income above and beyond our, our benchmarks. Well, I got to find a new job. That sounds like a lot of fun. The guys have a good time. John, 
<laughs> John, you touched on uh, the fact of what kind of, uh, obviously, the com- commodities that you move, uh, the, the iron, the ore, the steel, the grains. Uh, I've got to ask the question, uh, much exposure to Russia, Ukraine right now for, for Genco? I wouldn't say directly. Um, you know, there, there is a Black Sea season um, in terms of grain in particular that, that will be coming up in the, in the late summer. Um, you know, I think, I think the Ukraine is, look, it's a very fluid situation. It's very difficult to predict what will happen there. Um, in terms of our industry, we are not seeing, at least in the freight forward markets, any worry at this point about, about Ukraine from a, from a freight standpoint. Um, and that's sort of, that's sort of the benchmark that I, that I have to, to go with, but but look, I, it, it, there's no doubt it's un, unpredictable, and and I'm not sure if anyone has a has a good handle on it right now. I, I know that in the container side, Maersk and some other operators are rerouting some vessels to, from the uh, that area to Novorossiysk, and it's just something that we'll have to keep our eye on. But you know, John, you mentioned something really interesting: how uh, Genco is looking at a full service, uh, complementary uh, or operating process and. What caught my eye is uh, your foray into some container uh, ventures uh, using your uh, Supermax and Ultramax ships. Can you talk to them, uh, uh, the audience a little bit about how Genco came to carry some containers and what are you kind of your outlook for containers going forward? I know it's a minor part, but could you address that to the audience? Okay. So, you know, we, we have looked at this from a very opportunistic standpoint. Um, we typically perform a backhaul trade, meaning a lower paying freight trade when we move our ships from the Pacific into the Atlantic. So from China over to the U.S. West Coast or or even into the Gulf area. Um, What we have found is that there are opportunities to put containers only on board our ships because China to the U.S. West Coast is actually a front haul trade for for the container industry. So again, we've been able to earn more than we typically would um, on a normal backhaul trade, and then we position our ships for the great frontal route. Um, so again, it's it's all about opportunities, and I, this is not something we're necessarily doing every day. But we have done eight of these um, so far, and even with some you know some household names, you'll see Walmart containers on board our ships, and recently we saw some FedEx logistics containers on board our ships. Um, so. You know, it, it, it has taken us probably about four months to prepare um, to get into a position with our naval architects and with our classification societies to make sure that we're doing this in a very safe manner. And now, um, now, that, now that we've gone through that process, we're, we're able to reap the benefits. I really uh, drew, drew my eye to the, the wonderful things that you're doing in Genco. And I have to ask you, from a, being a container guy, what's been your biggest single surprise carrying containers so far? Um, you know, I um, when we started this process, I, I, I even though I was pushing for it, I would I would say we were we we're a little skeptical whether whether we could pull this off. And and again, now that we um, now that we have it wired, so to speak, it's um, it's relatively turnkey and. Again, it's not something we're doing every day, but we look for the opportunities and we think those opportunities are, uh, are, going, to, are going to continue. I mean, if you look at it from a, from a Walmart standpoint, you know, we're able to get into ports and unload much quicker than if they were going into the, one of these large container ports and, and getting caught up in the, uh, in the congestion. So it, it's, to me, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. 
and I love the way that that's great. I mean, it's self-evident that the Walmarts and the FedEx are going to definitely benefit from having, you know, like going to Port uh, Wainimi or, you know, a smaller uh, uh, mainstream, non-mainstream port. But I love how you describe to the audience what you're trying to create at Genco in terms of creating that value instead of a lower paying uh, load from China, you're creating a higher paying container opportunity. And again, I realize I just want my audience to know these, these are uh, opportunistic events. You're not doing this day in, day out, but it is generating uh, nice daily uh, time charter revenue to, to Genco. Absolutely. Yeah. John, it's really been amazing to have you as our guest at FreightWaves TV. Uh, is there, uh, could you please help uh, investors and, and uh, customers uh, learn more about Genco? Like, where can we direct them to? Uh, definitely to our website, GencoShipping.com. We are traded on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol GNK. Well, John, it's been amazing to have you as my special guest. I hope you'll come join us again. You've been watching a Fireside Chat with CEO and president of Genco Shipping, John Wobensmith. I'm Steve Ferreira signing off for now. And John, thank you again for being our special guest. Thank you for having me, Steve. Appreciate okay. it. Take care.